the claims people make force us to make a decision about their claim. Do I believe the claim or not? The decision I make about the claim forces me to make a decision about the person, about their character. Are they truthful? Are they a liar? Are they just delusional? The bigger the claim, the more my decision will affect my view of the person. For instance, if I claim that I could bench press 200 pounds, you might believe me and might not think much about it. However, if I told you that I once won the world's strongest man competition, it's doubtful you'd believe me. And your doubt in my claim would, in a lot of ways, determine your view of me. Right? You, would, right? you would determine either I'm a liar who thinks apparently you're stupid to believe something so outrageous, or I'm delusional and I really do believe that I have been the world's strongest man at some point in my life. And any time someone makes a claim about themselves, those who hear it make a decision about the claim, and that decision shapes if not fully determines our view of the character and the nature of the person who made the claim. And this is important to understand because Jesus made some pretty significant claims about himself. These claims are huge and force us to make a decision about the claims that Jesus made and the Jesus who made these claims. And these decisions are not minor, but major, life-changing decisions. Right? Because... If the claims Jesus made about himself are true, then Jesus is of utmost importance. But if the claims that Jesus made about himself are not true, well, he's really of no importance whatsoever. You know, in reality, the only thing Jesus cannot be is of moderate importance. And so today what we're going to do is look at some of the claims that Jesus made and see the kind of decision that they force us to make. Open your Bible to John chapter 5, verse 16. It's page 813 in your pew Bibles. When you find that, I ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. John 5 and verse 16. It's for this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him. Because he had done these things on the Sabbath. And Jesus answered them. My father has been working until now and I have been working. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him. Because he not only broke the Sabbath. But he also said that God was his father. Making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said to them. Most assuredly I say to you. The son can do nothing of himself. But what he sees the father do. For whatever he does. The son does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whomever he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son as they honor the Father. And he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live. For as the father has life in himself and has so granted the son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil, the resurrection of condemnation. I can do nothing. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. My judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own, but the will of the Father who sent me. The title of the message is The Claims of Christ. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we love you today. We praise you for your grace and your goodness and all that you've given us and all that you've done. We thank you, God, for an opportunity to gather to study your word. And we ask you, God, to help us to, to lay aside the cares of life at this point. God, to focus on nothing but your word and what you're trying to say to us here. Let your Holy Spirit come and give us ears to hear and hearts that would receive your word. Help us, Father, to to take it deep into our lives. Let your word produce the fruit in us that you want it to be. I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech so I can speak your word and your ways uh, that you would be glorified in all things. We love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Which you may be seated. One of the characteristics of Jesus' teaching is that he always brought people to a place where they had to make a decision about his teaching. You think about the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus teaches all this nice stuff on the Sermon on the Mount and these great things. And then he gets to the end and he says that basically his words, what he has just taught, is the foundation that enables you to stand up against the storms of life. And then he leaves it to them. Are you going to build your life on my word or are you going to build your life on sinking sand? And that is that is just the way Jesus taught all throughout the gospel accounts. When you see Jesus teaching, he calls people to a place where they must make a decision about what he has just said. And what is true of Jesus' teaching in general is true about all the claims that Jesus made about his life. Jesus, in the Gospel of John, John records a lot of claims that Jesus makes about who he is and why he came and why he was sent to the earth. And all of these claims are huge. All of these claims are, are monumental. And all of these claims force those who hear them to make a decision about Jesus. And that is the main thing we've got to understand today. That the claims of Christ for me, force me to make a decision about Christ. Right? And, and this is true for each and every one of us. Right? No matter where we are in our spiritual life, no matter what we've been through or anything else, when it comes to Jesus, He has made great claims about Himself. And we who read those claims and hear those claims, we must make a decision about the claims that will shape our view about the person who made those claims. The claims of Christ force us to make a decision about Christ. And there are three claims that Jesus makes about himself in this passage. One is that Jesus is the Son of God. Right? In the, the story just previous to this one, what's really a continuation, this is a continuation of that, Jesus has healed a man who has been lame for 38 years. He has seen the guy and he asked him, did he want to be made well? The guy said, well, how can I? There's no one to help me in the water. Jesus said, well, take up your mat and walk. And so the guy took up his mat and he walked. A miracle. Jesus performed. This guy suddenly, his legs strengthened. He was able to stand up, walk around, carry his mat and go home by himself for the first time in 38 years. Now, you would think those who saw this would be like, "Woo, that's pretty amazing. Right. This is this is an amazing miracle. This isn't this is like legitimate 38 years. We know this guy has been lame for all of these years. And now Jesus just spoke to him and he gets up and he walks off. But instead, the people who saw the guy walking off said, hey, dude, you're carrying your mat. Now, the problem with carrying your mat is it was the Sabbath day. And on the Sabbath, one of the Ten Commandments was that you were to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. And you weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath. But the Old Testament didn't explicitly define what work was. And so the religious leaders, they kind of got together, would periodically try to define what was what was considered work. Right. I mean, what what could you do and what couldn't you do on the Sabbath that would keep you from violating this law? They were they, they had good intentions initially because they wanted to put a hedge around sin and say, if, if working is a sin, we don't want to do that. So let's set the, the boundary here. 
Well, what happened was over time they came up with some ridiculous boundaries. And one of the boundaries was well, carrying your mat, which your mat was like your sleeping bag that you slept on. And so this guy is now carrying his sleeping bag, walking around on the Sabbath. And he is sinning in their eyes. And so they tell him, what are you doing carrying your mat on the Sabbath? And then he says, well, the guy who healed me told me to take up my mat and walk. Well, immediately they're infuriated. Who would dare tell this guy to take up his mat and walk? And on top of that, he healed the guy. Healing on the Sabbath was working. It was a sin in their eyes. Right. In fact, in a later story, a guy comes to the comes to the synagogue to be healed. Jesus heals him. And one of the religious leaders says there's six days in which you can work. Come and be healed on one of those days, but not on the Sabbath day. So Jesus heals on the Sabbath. He works. And then he tells this guy to take up his mat and walk, which is work. So they're obviously angry. Right. Verse 16. They they persecuted him and sought to kill him. Because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Obviously, if they're trying to kill him over it, they're pretty aggravated. They're pretty angry. And what I love with Jesus is he doesn't try to make it better. Right? He doesn't try to smooth it over and, and try to explain to them the minute points of the law and why carrying your mat or healing really isn't work. Instead, Jesus says something that's going to make it worse. Right? Jesus explains to them why it's okay that he healed this guy on the Sabbath. And he explains to them why it's okay that he told this guy to carry his mat on the Sabbath. And why it was okay for that guy to do it. Because Jesus said it. He says, my father has been working until now. And I have been working. And here's what he's telling them. I'm the son of God. I can do anything I want to do. Right? My father is working all the time. He never ceases work. He doesn't stop on the Sabbath from doing miracles and keeping the world going. And I'm just like him. I I follow his example and I do what he does. And so I work on the Sabbath as well. Right. So not only is he working on the Sabbath, he is claiming that he is equal with God and he has the authority to to either alter God's law or to properly interpret it in a way that is so different than they did. And he explains in verse 19, he, he again, he still doesn't try to make it any better. Most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself. But what he sees the father do for what he does, whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. Right. And Jesus says, this is nothing. And I'm the son of God. I'm equal with God. And the things that you've seen me do up to this point, nothing in comparison to what I'm going to do at later time. Now, this This is huge, huge for the Jews, because the Jews believed in God, right? They they believed in the God of the Old Testament and they had in their mind an idea of what that God was like. And they had in their mind an idea of of how that God acted and what that God would do in any given situation. And now Jesus comes along and he says, if you really want to know what that God is like, Look at me. I do all the things that he does. Whatever I do is what that God does. Whatever I do is what that God has shown me. I'm just like him. Equal to 
God the Father, because I am God the Son. Now, this is pretty much the consistent teaching of Scripture. Those who heard Jesus claim to be the Son of God and equal with God. They understood what he was saying. And they began to teach that. Right? Look at what the Bible says in the book of Colossians. For it pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell. And what that means is this. That all of, basically, all the stuff that makes God God was in Jesus. Right? In Jesus was all knowledge. In Jesus was all power. In Jesus was all goodness. In Jesus was all of everything. So any time that you read in the Old Testament about what the God of the Bible is like, all of that was in Jesus. And not only was it in Jesus, but the idea of dwell was that it was a natural part of who he was. It wasn't an, an additive, right? Jesus didn't get super soldier serum and become the son of God. He always was the son of God. He, he always was God in the flesh. Now, Jesus makes this claim here. And notice what happens in verse 18. Therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill him. Because he not only broke the Sabbath, but he also said that God with his father, making himself equal with God. They fully understood what Jesus was communicating about himself there. They understood that he was saying he could tell people what to do on the Sabbath because he was the Lord of the Sabbath. They understood that he was saying that the God of the Old Testament is revealed in me. And they they made a decision about that claim. And that decision about that claim, it formed their decision about who he was and what they needed to do. And they thought they ought to kill him. Jesus made the claim to be the Son of God. It's a huge claim. And a claim like that cannot be ignored. A claim like that, we have to make a decision about it. And the decision we make about that claim will determine... Our view of the person who made that claim. The second claim that Jesus makes is that Jesus is the giver of life. Now, pretty much everything that Jesus is going to say from this point on is built on what he says in verse 17, 19, and 20. That he is the Son of God who is equal with God. And what he's going to do for the rest of this passage is say, You know what God was like in the Old Testament? I can do that too. You know the things that God did in the Old Testament? I can do that too. In the Old Testament, God alone was the source of life. In the Old Testament, God alone was the source of salvation. There was one God, there was one deliverer, there was one person who determined who gave life and breath to all things, and it was Yahweh. And now Jesus is going to begin to say, I am that God. All of the rights and all of the authority to give life, to make salvation, all of that now falls to me. Look at what he says in verse 20. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom He will. Now, I think this is important. Right? Again, Jesus is saying, what the Father does, I do. Right? The Father raises the dead and gives life. I can do that too. But notice what He says about this. Jesus not only says He has the power to do this, but it's His right and authority to do it because He gives it to whom He will. Right? So, who 
Who not only gives life? Well, Jesus gives life and salvation. But who does Jesus give it to? The ones he wants to. It's basically what he's saying. He's saying that I have the right to give it to whoever I want. I am the author of life. I am the Lord of life. And thus I give life when and where I will. So, who does Jesus want to give life to? Well, look at verse 24. Most assuredly, I say to you that he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Right. So even more, this claim that Jesus is making is getting bigger and bigger. Right. Not only does he have the power to give life and exercise it and as will. But he gives it to those who hear his word and believe it. Right. He says in verse 25, most assuredly, I say to you that the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live. Right. Now, think about that. Jesus is saying that the words he speaks, they're not just the words of a regular teacher. They give life. They give eternal life to those who hear them and make a decision about them and choose to believe them. Right? Jesus is saying that the decision we make about his claims and the decisions we make about him, those are eternally significant. Really, basically what Jesus is saying is everything rises and falls on who we decide he is. Now, that's huge. I mean, Jesus is not saying, I teach a good way, but there are other ways. Jesus is not saying, I teach the best ways, but others will get you there. Jesus is saying, I'm teaching you the way. And everything about eternity, everything about life and death and salvation and damnation, they rise and they fall on what you do with the claims I make about myself. It's a huge, huge statement. He says in verse 26, that as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. Right? This life that Jesus gives, it's not, again, it's not an additive. It's not something that's added to him to make him good. It is a natural part of who he is. In his very essence, he is the Lord of life. And he gives it to whomever he will. And he has decided to give it to those who would believe in his name. Hear his words and believe them. And again, this is what the consistent teaching of Scripture is. Look at what the, 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 the John would later write. He says, He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now notice the connection. Right? God has given a testimony about Jesus. And that testimony is that there is eternal life. There is salvation. But it is only found in Jesus. Therefore, those who believe the Son receive life. Those who reject the Son do not experience this life. Right? Everything rises and falls on Jesus. 
Everything about salvation rises and falls on Jesus. Everything about eternity rises and falls on Jesus. Listen, salvation, the life that God gives, it is not given to those who are moral. It is not given to those who are baptized. It is not given to those who come to church. It is given to those who believe in Jesus. Everything rises and falls on Jesus. If we miss Jesus, we miss everything. It's like a story I heard several years ago about a guy who had a a big art collection. And he died and there was going to be an art sale, an estate sale. And everybody came to, to pick up on his great works of art that he had. But the very first work that was to be sold was a, basically it was a portrait that the man himself had done of his only son who had died in war. And this was the first thing. Well, nobody wanted that because it was just a picture of his son that he had painted when there were other famous and expensive art uh, paintings to be sold. And so the the auctioneer started and it went on and and nobody was going, nobody was bidding, but the, the will was explicit until that was sold. It didn't go on. So finally, one person made a bid. Whatever, $500. I'll I'll buy it for $500. Going once, going twice, sold. So they sold the painting. And then the the auctioneer closed everything up and began to walk away. And the other people said, whoa, there's all of this other art here. What about that? And he said, the will was clear. Whoever buys the sun gets the rest. And that's the way the Christian life is. All that the Father has promised and all that the Father wants to give and all that there is in life and blessing and goodness and salvation, all of that comes to those who believe in Jesus. Those who believe the Son, they get everything. Those who reject the Son, they get nothing. They miss it all. It's a pretty big claim. It's a pretty big claim about yourself to say you are the giver of life and everything about life and salvation rises and falls on you. That's the claim that Jesus made. And that claim forces us to make a decision about the claim. And our decision about that claim will determine our view of Jesus. And then the third claim that Jesus made. Jesus is the final judge. Again, in the Old Testament, God is the one who judged right and wrong. God was the one who rewarded the righteous and judged the wicked. Jesus, once again, takes all of that for himself. He says in verse 23 that there's a reason for this, that all should honor the Son. Right? Hang on, verse 22. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. That all should honor the Son as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Now, Again, this is huge, right? So their idea, God judges the wicked and God rewards the righteous. And in their mind, God judges the wicked and rewards the righteous basically based on two things. The Jews are righteous. Everybody else is wicked. Jesus has said, life is found not necessarily just for the Jews, but for all who would believe in my word, who would hear my words and believe my words. They will receive life. And the judgment about who gets rewarded and who gets judged, well, that, that's me. I get to make that decision. And the reason God wants me to make that decision is so that everyone will recognize who I am and they will honor me. 
they honor the Father. And what Jesus is saying is that there is no connection to God the Father without going through God the Son. I cannot glorify God the Father and reject God the Son. I cannot have a relationship with God the Father and reject God the Son. I cannot believe in God the Father without receiving God the Son. Everything about God must first go through Jesus. It goes upon our faith in Jesus. Everything rises and falls on our faith in Jesus. So Jesus is going to be the judge at the end of time. And he says in verse 28, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming. Which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. Those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Now there are several things to understand about this. One of the things we've got to understand about this is that death isn't the end. Death is not the end for anyone. This life is not all that there is. There is an eternity and everyone... No matter who they are, how they live, what they believe, or how they do in life. Everyone lives forever in eternity. The Bible is very clear about this. It is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. See, there is an eternal life. And everyone has eternal life in some way. But not everyone goes the same place. You see, after life and after death, there is a judgment in which all people will stand before Jesus and give an account for their life. Every one of us in here today will at some point see Jesus on his throne. And we're not going to look at it today. We don't have time. But if you really want to see what Jesus on the throne of judgment looks like, turn to Revelation chapter 20 and read the last few verses about the great white throne of judgment. The being on that throne, judging people from the book of life, that is Jesus. That is what this judgment will look like. And everyone will stand there. And everyone will give an account for what they believed and how they lived and the decisions they made about Jesus. But everyone does not go to the same place. Some people, it says, are raised and and are taken to the resurrection of life. And others are raised and taken to the resurrection of condemnation. Right? So, so all are going to be raised and all will stand in judgment. But some will basically be told, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your father. And others will be told, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. It's a pretty big deal. Right? Because in both cases, people live forever. The quality of life is vastly different. And Jesus says in verse 30, that I can of myself, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And notice this, my judgment is righteous. The judgment that Jesus makes in that day, it will be a righteous judgment. And here's what that means in part. First, it means that this righteous judgment will be based on an absolute standard. But it's not a, a waffling, wavering standard. It is a once-for-all standard for all people. It's not a standard 
that, that wavers for us because of our family or because of our lineage or anything else like that. It is a, an absolute standard that we'll be judged by. Secondly, that standard is un, unyielding. It is unbiased. Right? When I stand before Jesus on that day, he's not going to say, you're a pretty good old boy. I like you. We'll let some things slide. He's not going to say, your mom and dad were great, great Christians. Come on in. He's not going to say, you were baptized in really good free will Baptist water. You're good to go. He's not going to say, you went to church 43 times a year. Because none of that is the standard. Instead, there is a different standard that is unyielding. It is absolute. And it is the same for me and for you, for all people of all times in all places. And Jesus tells us what that is. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life. The wrath of God abides on him. So what, what, is, the, what is the one thing that, that really matters above all? It's Jesus. It is our decision about the claims of Christ. And what that decision forms about our decision about Jesus himself. I mean, that's it. Salvation is all about our faith in Jesus. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There are a lot of things in the Bible and about Christianity that we can agree to disagree on. And there are things we can get wrong and it not be a big deal. But understand, Jesus is not one of those. If we get Jesus wrong, it does not matter what else we get right. If you can explain the book of Revelation perfectly and accurately, but you do not realize, fully understand who Jesus is, you have not been saved. Everything rises and falls on Jesus. Now, I, I like the way Jesus and John put it. Right? Jesus says, he who believes in him is not condemned, right? So as a believer in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation for us. But notice this. He who does not believe is condemned already. Right? In, verse, in verse 36, he who believes has everlasting life. It's already ours. It's a possession. But he who does not believe shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So what is the... What is the standing of a person who is wrong about Jesus, a person who has not decided to believe Jesus? They are condemned. And the wrath of God abides on them. And listen, the, the picture of the wrath of God abiding on someone, it should fill our hearts with dread. Because here's what it's saying. Naturally, we aren't going to heaven. Naturally, we aren't saved. Naturally, we're already condemned. Naturally, we're already abiding under the wrath of God. You see, that's very different than what our world says. Our world says, basically, everybody goes to heaven unless you do something really, 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 really bad. 
And then, if you do something really, 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 really bad, and there's no extenuating circumstance as to why you had to do it, well, then you're condemned. Then you go to hell. The Bible turns that around and says, oh, no. Naturally, you're already condemned. Naturally, you're already an object of God's wrath. In order to change that, you must do something. And what you must do is you must believe in Jesus. As just a natural person living in this world, we are already condemned and we are already abiding under the wrath of God. And the only way to be free from condemnation, and the only way to get out from underneath the wrath of God is through faith in Jesus. He is that final judge who determines resurrection of life, resurrection, condemnation. And you say, well, why? If that's what Jesus offers, why would anybody not take it? I mean, why would anyone not believe Jesus? Well, Jesus said in John chapter 3 that people love darkness more than light. And that that's why they choose to reject him. And that they love darkness more than light means a couple of things. One, it means they love sin more than the Savior. Right? Keep in mind that when Jesus died on the cross, it was not the death of the martyr. Jesus died as a sacrifice for the sins of others. It was your sin and mine that that put him on the cross. On the cross, Jesus took the wrath of God. He took condemnation in our place that we might be spared of that. And you know, just a natural consequence of believing in a God who died for our sin is that we would do our best to get out of sin, right? I mean, that, that makes sense, I think. I, had, I worked with a guy once who was an agnostic, and he told me, he said, you know, I don't really believe the Bible. I'm not a Christian. But I do understand that if you believe it, you have to live it. Right? He had... He had no faith in the God of the Bible was real. He had no faith that the Bible was right on anything. He had no faith that Jesus lived, died, and rose again. But he understood an important truth. That if you claim to believe in that Jesus, you had to live the life that he told you to live, that he wanted you to live. So if, I, if I'm going to be- live believing in a man who died for my sin, then it makes sense that I'm going to do what I can to get out of that sin. But see, some people, they prefer their sin. And what it is, is they say, okay... I'm living a life of sin, and Jesus calls me to be holy as he is holy. So, in order to believe in him, after I believe in him, I'm going to have to try to put this sin out of my life, and I I don't want to. I would rather continue in my sin. So I'm going to love my sin and hold on to my sin and reject the Savior. That is, loving darkness more than light. Another reason people love darkness more than light is they love self-righteousness more than salvation. See, the cross declares some things to us. The cross declares that my sin is really serious. I mean, if, if the things I've done wrong are bad enough that Jesus had to die for them, I mean, that's, that's really, really bad. He had to die in my place that I could be saved. That means my sins are pretty significant. It's not just a, a mistake. It's not just a character flaw. It's not just a bad habit that everybody has to have. No, it, it's pretty serious. And the cross declares... There is nothing I can do to fix what's wrong with me. Now, the cross declares in a powerful way that I can't just be good and it's going to be good enough. I mean, if the Son of God had to come to earth and die on the cross for my sin, then, then it's a pretty big fix. It would be ridiculous for Jesus to come to earth and die on the cross if I could just stop being bad and start being good and that would fix it. 
So the cross tells me my sin is really bad. The cross tells me that I can't undo the badness of my sin. And I have to rely on Jesus. Well, that, that's pretty harsh. Right? Because I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a lot better than other people I can think of. Right? My sins are, I mean, they're not, I'm not perfect, but I'm not that bad. I mean, my sins aren't serious enough that somebody would have to die over them. Come on. We, we like our self-righteousness. We like thinking we can fix it ourselves and we can undo it ourselves. And the cross says, no, you can't. And there are some people who just can't accept that. They're not willing to say, I'm a sinner. They're not willing to say, my sin condemns me. And only the cross saves me. And so they cling to their self-righteousness. And they reject the Savior. They love darkness more than light. Jesus makes really, really big claims about himself. And these claims are, I would say, huge. Think about it. If I were to walk up to you, not me. I wouldn't do this. But let's say you're going to lunch today. And on your way in, somebody walks up and they grab you by the shirt, right? Dude, I'm the son of God. I give life and I make the final judgment. Right? Now, are you going, I totally believe that. Or are you thinking, where are the police when you need them, Michael? Michael, where are the police? Right? When the guy begins to make these claims, your thought process says you make a decision about that claim. Either either he's a liar who thinks I'm stupid, or he's a lunatic that believes it himself, or he is the Lord of all. But we have to make a decision. I mean, somebody's saying something like that. We're not going to remain neutral about it, are we? We're not going to say, well, I think he's an okay guy, but I don't really have an opinion one way or the other about him. You're not going to do that. We're not wired that way. We're wired to make a decision. And so Jesus makes these claims. And there's no indication he's joking. right? He's not trying to be funny in this. Those who believed him, they gave their lives to follow him. They died telling others about him. Obviously, they didn't believe he was a lunatic. What they did was they recognized he was Lord. And they surrendered their lives to live for him. And this morning, you have to make a decision about Jesus. Just as surely as if someone came up to you and said that they were the Son of God, the giver of life, and the final judge, you would decide about them then. You must decide about Jesus today. You may decide that he's a liar who just made things up. You may decide that he's a lunatic who was slightly crazy. You may decide that he is the Lord of all. There is no standing on the sidelines. There is no, he's just an okay guy. There is a very real decision that you must make, and Jesus intended for it to be that way. That's why he would say in Luke, he who is not with me is against me. See, when it comes to Jesus, nobody gets to be Switzerland. You don't get to be neutral. You have to pick a side. And you either have to pick Jesus 
or you have to reject Jesus. But you must decide. Today, if you decided that Jesus is Lord, there are things you must believe. You must believe that you sinned. Right? I mean, this is a huge thing. Right? A part of believing in Jesus is believing that we have sinned. Right? And that there, there is with sin an absolute standard of right and wrong. If we were to, to look at the Ten Commandments, that is God's absolute moral standard. Romans chapter 3 says that it was given to us that we might know sin. That it was given to us that every mouth might be stopped and we might become guilty before God. And if we were to take the time and look through the Ten Commandments, every one of us, if we were honest, would have to say, I have broken that standard. I have not kept it perfectly. Therefore, I have sinned. That's a part of what you have to believe. You also must believe that Jesus died for your sins. Jesus was not a martyr for the cause. He didn't make the wrong people angry. He died as a sacrifice for your sins and mine. And on the cross, he took the punishment that we deserved. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. For you and I, we earned condemnation. We earned the resurrection of condemnation. We've earned the wrath of God because of our rebellion against God. But Jesus came. And on the cross, he took all of God's wrath against our sin. He took all of our condemnation, all of our judgment, all of our punishment that we deserve. It was poured out upon Him on the cross so that we could be spared from that. And a part of believing in Jesus, believing Jesus is believing that He died for your sin. You must also believe that He rose again. Right? Because the Romans killed all kinds of people. And they crucified people everywhere they went. They crucified thousands of Jews in the the days that they ruled over Judea. What makes Jesus' death any different? How do we know he wasn't just a guy who got on the wrong side of somebody? Jesus rose from the dead. His resurrection is the great declaration that he is the Son of God that died for the sins of the world. You must believe that Jesus rose again. And then you must believe. Call on Jesus to save you. The salvation that Jesus died to provide is available to all, but it's automatic to no one. No one is just suddenly saved. No one is accidentally saved. People are saved when they intentionally choose to decide for Jesus and they call on Jesus to save them. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The reality is, none who never call upon the Lord will ever be saved. Salvation is a decision that you must make. You must decide, I believe the claims of Christ. You must then let that form you to the place where you say, I believe that Jesus is the Lord of all. And then you must call on Jesus to save you. Now, there is no magic sinner's prayer to pray. The only sinner's prayer in the Bible was prayed by, by a tax collector who said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. The Bible said he went away saved. 
If you call on Jesus in faith, believing that he died for your sins, he rose again, that he'll save you. You will be saved. But it is your decision to make. No one can make it for you. It is just you and your God. Let's stand as we